it is somewhat comical and tragic to watch liberal women go on social media and complain about, well, where are all the real men at? Where are all the men that want to be a protector and a provider? It's like, you told them they're toxic, and and some of them believed you. Culture will eventually produce the sort of men it's asking for, and, and right now it's asking for weak, emasculated men. And it turns out nobody likes the results. Hey guys, welcome back to the Lila Rose podcast. Today we're going to have on Nick Fritas, who's a Virginia state delegate. He j- actually just won his re-election last night in Virginia. There were races across the country. And he's also a podcaster and a YouTuber. He talks a lot on masculinity and marriage, so we're going to get into that. Um, quick note, please pray and redouble your efforts with us at Live Action for the Pro-Life Movement because there were some losses. I mean, Nick did win his re-election, but Ohio uh, proposition or issue one uh, passed, which enshrines abortion in the state constitution. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts on that. I'm sharing them online. I, if you get live actions emails and you're part of our list, you'll see my thoughts and my kind of rehash of that. But the movement has to double down on showing abortion for what it is, an active homicide against a child. That's the only way we're going to get people to reject it if they actually know what abortion is. In this conversation with Nick, we talk about uh, really the solution to abortion culture at large, which is strong marriages, strong men and strong women. He has a lot to share. I think it's going to be great. And I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Guys, I'm really excited about our new sponsor. Our new sponsor is Nimi Skincare, and I am a proud user of Nimi Skincare products. It's been a couple months that I've been using the products, and I absolutely love them. I'm very picky about my skincare products. I always have been. It's always been hard for me to find a line where I like multiple products, but I want to shout out some of my favorite Nimi Skincare products that I've been using every day, and I'm seeing the results. I've been using the Vitamin C Cleansing Scrub, which I love using in the evening before bed. After that, I use their Moisturizer Cream, which is amazing. It leaves my skin feeling so refreshed when I wake up. I also love their sunscreen that I put on in the morning, and it's also moisturizing. But overall, their products are fantastic. So check out NimiSkincare.com. You're also going to love that. Surprise, surprise, this is a pro-life company that shares your values, and they have best-in-class skincare products. So you can check out NimiSkincare.com today, and you can use the code Lila at checkout for 15% off your order. That's NimiSkincare.com, and you can use the code Lila for 15% off your order. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you very much for having me. So you just had a big day yesterday. We're filming this on a Wednesday. Yesterday was the election in Virginia as well in other states. There were some big disappointments uh, coming from the on the pro-life side, Ohio voters enshrining abortion in their state constitution. But a bright side is you just won re-election yesterday. Well, I, I was certainly uh, happy about winning re-election, but we, we look, to be honest, we had a tough night in Virginia as well. We uh, weren't able to take the Senate, and uh, we ended up losing the House by, I think at this point, uh, one seat. Ouch. Yeah. What's your what's your take? So you, uh, you know, folks are some of the folks listening have some familiarity with your familiarity with your background. Going to share. I want to hear more about that in a moment. But what's your take? I mean, everyone is looking at what happened yesterday and really concerned about the pro-life cause, concerned about going into 2024. What's your take on it? I think there's a lot of problems that the country is facing right now. I I think there's obviously each state has individual issues with their elections that they're trying to combat and and various issues which are more prominent. But um, I I think there's a larger cultural 
battle that's going on right now that is undermining a lot of races across the country. Um, I know that our, our speaker put in just an absolute ton of work. Uh, Governor Youngkin put in a ton of work and, and individual candidates did as well. So I can't look at any one individual person and say, Hey, they weren't, they weren't doing everything they could to potentially win. Um, but, I, I just think we have some underlying cultural issues that we're going to have to effectively address. And um, abortion is one of the major ones, if not the major one that, that we're going to have to address on a cultural level as well as a legislative issue. So I, I want to get into your background because one of the reasons I'm excited to have you on the show today is obviously you're a delegate in in Virginia, but you're also very much doing the culture battle stuff. I mean, you have YouTube, a YouTube channel, you're very big on Instagram, reaching millions of people. A lot of your messages really resonate, I think, with young men, but also young women. So let's start with a little bit about your background and how you got into politics and then how you got into (laughs) influencing online, because they're sometimes the same, but also very different. No, it was funny. I remember the first time I, I was doing an MC event for Family Foundation in Virginia, and they introduced me as a state delegate and social media personality. And I was like, nice. what did you just call me? <laughs> um, no, my, my background, um, I, I enlisted in the military right out of high school. Um, my wife and I got married uh, about less than a year out of high school. Um, I was 19. She was 20. She loves that I, I make sure everyone knows that she was nine months older than me. Um, she likes to tell people that the reason why it happened that way is because because um, when she was being born, God knew she would need a project. And so, you know, nine months later, I was there. Um, but yeah, I got married right out of high school, uh, served in the 82nd Airborne Division, 25th Infantry, and uh, 9-11th happened and uh, volunteered for Army Special Forces and um, did a couple of combat tours over in Iraq um, as a Green Beret with 1st Special Forces Group. Uh, Tina and I had all three of our children when I was in the military. And um Got out in, uh, gosh, it was June of 2009, so I had done 11 years uh, active duty, and we ended up moving to Virginia. And um, my, my mom had been involved in, in politics um, when I was younger. She had been the head of a Republican women's organization and uh, had had been active, been pretty active in, in California politics. And um, so that, that, was, that certainly got me involved. Um, I never really thought I would run for elected office. I thought maybe I'd work on the advisory side with things like uh, foreign policy, counterterrorism, things of that nature. And um, got involved locally, started working on various campaigns, and uh, I got asked if I would run for the House of Delegates. And I said no. <laughs> and Why? Then, uh, I, um, Why did you say no? <laughs> I, I think it was a couple of things. One was I was uh, I was still fairly new to Virginia at that point, and um, – the, the second, I, I thought it was important. One of the things they, they really beat into you in the military is understand your operational environment, especially when you're working as part of a 12 man team <laughs> um, in, in a combat zone. And um, I, I wanted to actually understand the area and feel like I, I really understood it before I, I would even presume to consider something like that. The other side was, is I, I just didn't see it as something that I was going to do. Again, I, I like the idea of, of helping other people out. Um, and, and, Initially, my Tina really was not too sure about us being in the public light like that in our family and everything else, because they don't just come after you. They, they come after everyone. And um, it was about two years later where, you know, Tina and a good friend of mine, Christian Hines, who's actually now my, my co-host on Making the Argument, uh, they both said, look, Nick, you know, you, you can't keep talking about the problems with this um, and, and not be willing to actually go in there yourself. And th- that's always the way to get me to do something is to, to make me feel like I'm not doing enough. <laughs> Um, so they, they 
talked me into it and we did a lot of prayer over it. And, um, I put my hat in the ring and lo and behold, the incumbent decided to retire. And so my first election was unopposed. Um, I've nice. never had that. I've never had that privilege before or since then. Uh, but that's, that's how I eventually uh, got into elected office here in Virginia. And it's been seven years that you've been in office. Uh, eight years. I just eight got years. reelected. So I, uh, two, two more years to go. Okay. So what's it like? Okay. You're the dad of three. You're an army vet. You are also now eight years going strong in the House of Delegates, and you are doing a ton of stuff in the culture space, you know, podcasting and um, influencing, social media influencing. And then you're also, I think, homeschooling and homesteading. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. We uh, are. My oldest daughter is uh, about to turn 21. So she's she's graduated. We homeschooled her um, pretty much since kindergarten, oh, first grade, first grade. Uh, she had one year where she went back into public school and we, we took her right back out. And then my son uh, just turned 18. He's finishing up his senior year. And then my youngest daughter is about to turn 16. So we've got a few years left there. But yeah, we, we've homeschooled. And um, yeah, about two years ago, we, we started kind of dipping our toe in the water with, with homesteading. Um, mainly because we, you know, we wanted to be able to expand kind of what we were doing with our garden. We wanted our, our kids to have the responsibility and experience on being able to grow and raise your own food. And so it's been a, but I have to tell you, I, I, I came for the resilience, but I stayed for the people. Uh, if that makes sense, the, the homesteading community is just a, it is really just a breath of fresh air. It is so nice to be able to go to one of these conferences. Um, homesteaders of America is a great group out here that we participate with. And, um, seriously, like I go to Richmond and it gets depressing. And then I come out to the homesteaders of America conference and I just, I just feel rejuvenated. It's just great being around the people. And you, you don't just have plants though. You have real animals on your homestead, right? <laughs> We, we do. We've done pigs. We've done goats. We've done meat chickens. We have uh, laying chickens. We have peacocks because we hate ourselves. <laughs> um, they're, they're pretty to look at, but kind of loud. Um, and yeah, and, and, you know, dogs and cats and stuff like that. But um, yeah, as far as our livestock animals, the, the most the most dangerous place for our bank account is when my youngest daughter and I go to the poultry auction um, because chicken math is a real thing and it always equals multiplication. So... <laughs> So no eggs though. It's just ch- ch- just chickens for meat. Oh no no we do we do eggs as well. Okay. We do, in okay. fact, we were. I got to tell you, Lila, we were feeling pretty baller when uh, when the egg prices were shooting up, and we're like walking into church with like you know you get nice. a dozen eggs, you get a dozen eggs. It's just how we roll, right? So it's oh, been what a, what it's a work of love, just handing them out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been great. Okay, well, what I want to get into first. I mean, there's a lot to talk about, but I want to start with men because. There is a, you know, people talk about the crisis of feminism today and femininity. There's definitely a crisis of masculinity today. Uh, There's a new data. There's new data coming out of Pew that says that among young adults, one third of women are single, but a full and astonishing 63 percent of young men are single. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have the rise of red pill online. You have the rise of, you know, I, I don't know, the derogatory term is the beta, the beta male, you know, who is just not really doing much with his life. And generally speaking, I think there's a sense of dissatisfaction. You know, economically, men are struggling. What's I know you talk about this a lot. What you got married at 19. Let's start with what is your take on why we are where we are culturally with this crisis of masculinity? So I, I think um, 
I think a lot of it has to do with it, it, it's very easy to just pick on feminism, modern feminism. And, and I do think that has a lot to do with it. Um, but I, I also think that there's been kind of a larger identity crisis uh, in the country, both on a, on a national level, because we don't we don't generally agree on our our shared history. We don't generally agree on where we are in the present. And so we don't agree on where we should be going. And modern feminism's contribution to that has been this idea of making this a, a battle between men and women. Um, I think early on feminism where it was the idea of, hey, women should have equal rights before the law and they should be able to vote and own property. I think that's stuff that it, are all noble objectives. Um, when it comes into the realm now of, of you know, second and, and especially third wave feminism where it's this idea that men are the enemy. And I, I really think it's also created this idea that the state is the ally of women against men. Um, that that's created a great deal of hostility and frustration. I think between the sexes, it's also created a great deal of frustration with respect to what, what is men's proper role within society? I think when men look at it as something where they have an obligation to be husbands and to be fathers and to be good husbands and fathers, to be protectors, to be providers, they feel like they have a place in the world. And it's, that's an incredibly, that's an incredibly, um, important composition for any civil or excuse me, a position for any civilization. You don't want a lot of young, frustrated, uh, men running around that don't see any sort of future for themselves. That, that tends to yield really, really bad results for society. And I would say for women specifically, by the same token, um, you, you've had this idea that masculinity, um, and, and th this is one of the things that, that the left, and I always distinguish between the left and liberals, but this is one of the things the left always does. And it's this concept of, they, they create this very broad category, toxic masculinity, and and it it ends up including things like competitiveness, aggression, a capacity for violence, um, stoicism, or, or not wanting to appear weak or vulnerable. And they and they list these things as toxic. And then when you start to call them on it, they they then narrowly define it once again to oh no no we just mean like abusive behavior. It's like okay well that's not what you're teaching young men. Um, I, I think we also see this within the public school system. Um, I, I tell people all the time, one of the reasons why I homeschool is because public school was not created with your child in mind. Public school was created with the mass production of education in mind. And if you really look at our system, it was based off of what an 18th century Prussian model designed to make really good conscripts. So th this idea that it is especially not conducive for young boys who typically have a, a lot of energy and um, are, are a lot of times more kinetic in the way that they learn. They have to physically do stuff. Well, when you create an educational environment where it's sit down, shut up, read this, repeat this. Boys don't do well in that environment. And and we're, we're seeing this both within our public school system. We're seeing this within college. Um, we have a university system, um, which I think has been overrun with a combination of critical theory and, and all of its various offshoots, uh, combined with postmodernism. So that's this idea that there's, there's no objective truth. Um, there's no overarching meta narrative that we're supposed to live our life by. And then you, you put on top of this that everything is now based off of power structures and men are, are, you know, the patriarchy. They represent, you know, every man is now guilty for anything any man did at any point in, in the past. And, and what's fascinating about all of this is not only is it making men horribly unhappy, it's making women horribly unhappy. Um, it, it is somewhat comical and tragic to watch liberal women go on social media and complain about, well, where are all the, where are all the real men at? Where are all the men that want to like be a protector and a provider? It's like you told them they're toxic and, and some of them believed you. Um, so I, I think that's all a part of it. And then. You take that kind of perfect storm 
and you add to it the what they're calling the red pill and the manosphere. And now you have men coming on um, where when, when I look at a lot of them, 75% of what they're saying, I totally agree with 75% of like a, you know, get up, go to the gym, work out, read, become intellectually you know, capable, become professionally capable, become physically capable um, because this is what it's, this is what you need to do as a man. But then when you look at the way they talk about relationships, it, it's this sort of thing with like, and you're going to become a top G and the way you're going to be a top G is you're going to rack up a huge body count. And, and because that's what real men do, real men are rich and successful and powerful and they can, they can beat up, you know, they can beat somebody up, they can protect, they can provide. And that's, what's going to get them a, a, a never ending source of, of beautiful women that they're going to have a bunch of casual hookups with. But, but all those beautiful women, by the way, should be virgins, right? I mean, that's well, the, and, the crazy part of the, the mentality is like the woman needs to be the virgin. We, you know, we want the high body count. I'm like, well, how do, how do you get a virgin women then if you're just constantly sleeping with women? Doesn't well, make this sense is the to crazy me. part about your this is the crazy part about your interaction your interaction with Justin Waller on whatever podcast right is that you you know again Justin Waller seventy five percent of what Justin Waller says about various things I can look at and say I, I can appreciate where he's coming from and what he's saying and then you pointed out the obvious contradiction in his argument which is him looking at a bunch of club girls saying if you do this you're not going to be able to attract the sort of man that wants to provide for you wants to protect you wants to do all those other things okay Justin fair point. But you're also saying that you don't possess the discipline or the desire to actually be faithful to one woman. Well, then, okay, by process of elimination here, right, the deductive reasoning, you're contributing to the sort of female behavior which you say is undesirable in a wife. And, and so you're, you're contributing to the problem that you're attempting to address. And, and the thing I want men to understand is it, it's very easy to fall into this idea that because because men that are maybe good looking, tall and successful can go out and have a bunch of meaningless sex that therefore that's the pinnacle or that's a part of the pinnacle or one of the, the designating factors of what makes you a high quality man. Not only is that not true, not only does that not only contribute to a bunch of things that are societally bad um, and bad for women, it's also incredibly bad for men. You you are accepting a diminished view of what a healthy relationship is supposed to look like, not to mention what a healthy sex life is supposed to look like, right? This whole idea that this is all about body count, um, you know, I, look, being a Green Beret, obviously, I, I served in a unit where... <laughs> We, we had a lot of guys that took that view of, of the world, right? They were, you know, they're in shape guys. They tend to be very, very confident. They can walk into a bar. They can walk into a club, you know, and they don't got to spend the night alone if they don't want to. Right. And they used to always tease me that, you know, Nick, you got married at 19. You know, this is, and they used to always joke around. I remember looking at a guy one night and I kind of had enough of it. I said, let me explain something to you, dude. I said, you have a bunch of meaningless hookups with a bunch of women that you don't care about and then quite frankly don't care about you. I said, I've been with one woman, my wife, who I love, who I adore, who is gorgeous, who is beautiful, that I respect, that, that I am building a life with, having kids with, that you know, we, we have dreams together and then we go out and we accomplish those things together. Right? And one of the best gifts that I could ever give her is that when we're together, she never has to wonder if I'm thinking of somebody else. Never. And when you start to understand something about the way that women look at intimacy, the fact that she has that security, that she knows I am faithful to her and I am devoted to her and she's the only one 
I'm sorry, but that, that sows the seeds not only for a good relationship, that sows the seeds for incredible intimacy within that relationship. And because you've been busy racking up this body count, do you know how difficult it is for you to be able to have that with somebody one day? I mean, I, I believe in redemption. I, I believe in, in being able to, to recover from a past and be able to have a good marriage and a good relationship. But do you realize how much baggage you're bringing into that relationship, not just for you, but for her? So no, dude, I want to trade my place and what I have with my wife for the meaningless hookups that you've had for, for one second. And he looked at me, he finally looked at me, he goes, you know what, dude? He goes, look, bottom line is we all wish we had what you had. Wow. I said, yeah, I, said, yeah, I know you do. <laughs> I know you do. Aww. Thanks for admitting it. So sad. Um, Seven Weeks Coffee is America's pro-life coffee company. This is organic, gourmet coffee that's low acid and ethically sourced, and you're going to love Seven Weeks Coffee. You want that delicious steaming cup of coffee this fall? Why not order from Seven Weeks when you know that 10% of all the proceeds are going to go directly to the pro-life movement, to pregnancy resource centers to help moms and babies while you're drinking your delicious cup of coffee. So stop buying from coffee companies that don't support your values and start buying from sevenweekscoffee.com and drink a delicious cup of coffee while you support the pro-life movement. Go to sevenweekscoffee.com and you can use the code LILA at checkout for 10% off your order. Do you think it's a lack of, I mean, you were living that thing that deep down he's admitting, I want that. Mm-hmm. But do you think part of it too is, you know, so many of us, you know, millennials, certainly Gen Zers are raised in broken families. I think the numbers over 50% are not from intact families today. You know, a fourth of all children in America are raised by single mothers. They don't even have a father who's involved in any serious way in their life. So how much of that is making men think that, okay, the way I relate to women romantically is kind of domination and power uh, and just sort of like use basically like I'm going to use you for sex versus, you know, respect and commitment and that like love lifelong love story. So my parents got divorced when I was three. My mom got remarried, got divorced again. My wife's parents got divorced when she was very young. Um, the, the one thing that was really beneficial for both of us is that um, our, our parents didn't make excuses for the failures in their own relationships. They didn't pretend like, oh, this is just something that happens and sometimes it doesn't work out. They, they both admitted that it was a failure um, and that it shouldn't be repeated. They also, they also were, were Christians. My wife and I are, are, are strong Christians. And so we had this idea that um, th- there is a way this is supposed to be done and simply because it wasn't modeled for us doesn't mean it doesn't work. Yeah. And, or that it's honestly, not possible, right? I mean, because you, yeah. you had the courage to believe it's possible for us, even though our parents struggled and failed, you know, made these big errors. You had this courage at 19 and 20, which is remarkable. And you've been faithful to it to say, we're going to do it different, do it differently. Where did you get that courage? Well, so I don't, I don't that know vision. that it was courageous. I, I don't know that it was courageous, right? I, I think it was more. So when, when we were, um, when we were in high school uh, and it, and it, we, we both started recognizing that we were serious about one another. Um, we started having conversations about what our expectations were. Like, you know, we, we had conversations about what do we believe? And people always get on to me about this and say, well, Nick, as long as you have good communi- communication, as long as you have all these other things that you guys talked about with respect to expectations and being honest and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that wh- why does, why does the faith component matter so much? And I always tell people like, look, dude, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to give you the successful worldview without also giving you the creator of that successful mm. worldview. I, I, we didn't come up with this on our own. Now, obviously, 
you can exhibit certain traits. You can set up certain rules for yourself, and there will be natural benefits as a result of those rules. The real question, though, is that ultimately when something difficult happens, when something bad happens, what keeps you there? And what keeps you there is you believe it's true. You, you believe it's correct and right and noble and beautiful and worth fighting for. And that's not something that you just get because two people had an agreement that they had similar life goals. That's something that you commit to because both of you have a commitment that there is such a thing as objective truth, objective morality. We believe in this and we're willing to fight for it because we believe in the promise of it. And, and one of the most wonderful things for my wife and I is that my oldest daughter is now engaged to a great guy, wonderful guy. We are so happy. Um, you know, my, my son, we didn't let any of our kids date until they were 18. Um, people say, well, that, that's so harsh. Really? We saved our kids so much emotional, like trauma and, and be, by, by telling them, not by telling them like, look, we don't want you to date because it's bad for you. We told them, yeah. we want you to have what we have. We want, we want you to have a relationship where you can see that mommy and daddy love each other and that it is, it is, <laughs> it is her and I against the world. Right. And, and you, you know that cause you've seen it, you've seen it your entire time growing up and we want you to have that. And here's, here's the things that you do to get it. But I would just say that part of it is about making making a decision on what do you believe is true and and laying that good foundation and then building from there. But I think one of the problems that we've had within the, the Christian community is this idea that we talk about all the things that you're not supposed to do, and we don't do a good job of, of explaining, no, you, you don't do those things because it robs you of something that is so much better. And if you do these things, then this is what you get. And when you compare that with, with the meaningless trash that the world is trying to sell you on. I mean, look how unhappy everyone is as a result of what they're doing. I mean, yeah, it may look like fun when they're, when they're in the club or it may look like fun when, when they're taking the pictures. I, I'm sorry, but Andrew Tate can never experience with all of those hookups what I get to experience with my wife because it, it's not just this. When, when we're together, it's not just response to stimuli, right? This is, this is the woman I love and respect and, and am deeply passionate about, right? When it's, when we're building a life together, it's not that I have dreams and she has dreams and let's hope if they sync up. We built our dreams together. They're yeah. our dreams. And when we accomplish them, we accomplish them together. And when we find troubles or when we find adversity, we accomplish it together. And people will look at me like, well, Nick, that's lucky for you. No, it isn't luck. If you're waiting around for luck to solve your world's problems, I got bad news for you. Your life's going to suck. It, it's a worldview. It, it's a way of viewing the various challenges and opportunities that come about and knowing that her and I are, are one. We are a team and that's it. And we also know what our roles are within that relationship. That's, that's another thing that's, that's it, it's, it's amazing to me, this, this uh, mindset that tells um that really tells women like my wife and I were talking about this at one point and it was this whole idea that as i look at modern feminism if if you were to just if you were to just sit me down and say okay nick here's all the tenets of modern feminism i would be like this was written by a licentious dude that just wanted to sleep around so that, true that would that would be the conclusion the, i would come to the sexual revolution is for basically the worst it's for male lust i mean that's it's designed yes. for that for that end in mind. And it's not, I mean, women are not happy in the end. And yeah, men who live by lust are not happy either to no. your point. So no. no one, no one wins. And then you get abortion on demand out of it too. And yeah. and just the sheer yeah. blood, bloodletting of that. Well, and it diminishes it, it by definition diminishes human life. When, when we start coming up with arbitrary, uh, arbitrary rules by which life can be destroyed because you find it inconvenient. And that's, 
what this boils down to. The, the idea that that's going to stay isolated within the question of abortion and not actually leak into every other aspect of, of life and humanity and, and human interaction. That's absurd. Like nobody, nobody who understands anything about human interaction or philosophy would, would tell you that you can take a certain sector of the population, dehumanize them and destroy them for no reason greater than you find them inconvenient and then tell you that that's not going to have repercussions throughout the rest of society. Completely true. So what's the practical, what would be your practical advice? I mean, it sounds like you both, you and your wife were both raised in broken homes. You get married at 19 and 20 and you have this love that you've shared. You've raised children together. You've built your, as you say, your dreams together. Okay. What, what practically, what, especially for men, let's just stay on men here. Like what practically do they need the tools in order to have that success story because it sounds like you weren't necessarily raised with that modeled in your life, but you guys figured it out. There, there was aspects of it. Like I always say, like I'm, I'm very grateful for my father and my mother. I'm very sorry that they, they didn't stay married, but um, by the same token, I have seven brothers and sisters I wouldn't have had if, if they had stayed together necessarily. And so look, there, there's always, <laughs> God can always turn things for, for a noble, for a noble purpose or a good outcome. Um, and, and my dad and my mother were both still influential in my life and my morals. Um, even if it wasn't reflected in their marriage, but here, here's what I would say for, for men specifically, um, men need a mission, men need a mission. Um, there, there, somebody said this once where they were talking about how they treat female depression and male depression and the way they treat female depression tends to be, um, with, with coming alongside someone and providing support and hearing them out and, and empathizing and sympathizing with them and providing a network of people that, um, lets them know they're not alone. And when you ever try to, when you try to p- treat male depression the same way, it doesn't work. Um, because men need a mission. We need a noble mission. You give us a noble mission and we'll crawl, we'll crawl across broken glass to achieve it if we believe in it. And the thing that I, we try to tell young men is that, look, you do have a mission. You do have a, a purpose. You may be struggling to figure out what it is, but it's there. And, and for, for most men, maybe not all, but for most men, part of that mission will be getting married and having children. And, you know, there, there's this statement that people don't like anymore where they, they say that, you know, men civilize the, the wild and women civilize men. And whether you like that or not or agree with it or not, there is an element of truth in that because I, I know this much. There was a lot of things that I kind of wanted to do with my life and different objectives that I had, whether it was my military objectives or professional objectives. But if you want to know the thing that truly motivates me, my wife and my children and, and my responsibility to them, there is... There, there is no philosophy, there's no patriotism, there's no country, as, as deeply as I feel those other things. None of that ultimately compares to what I will do and what I will endure for the safety and love of my wife and my children. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you do have a wife that has that similar worldview and brings out the absolute best in you, you you will recognize a sense of of accomplishment and purpose that you would never be able to accomplish in isolation when when you hold your child for the first time 
You know, I, I always tell guys whenever they're about to have a little girl for the first time, like, you think you're a tough guy, right? I've spent most of my life around tough guys, right? You think you're a tough guy, and then you have a little girl, and you find out what an utter sap you are, right? A, a total and complete sap, right? And then you and then you have a son, and you realize that, oh, my gosh, I have to, I have to prepare this young man for the world. I have to prepare him to be a husband or a father one day. All of those things provide men with purpose and meaning. And then the question is, is what sort of moral precepts, what sort of guidelines are, are going to... Um, take them along this path to make sure that they're good men. Because here's the, here's the dirty little secret about toxic masculinity. When properly, under, uh, when properly explained, there is such a thing as toxic masculinity, just like there's such a thing as toxic femininity. But, but here's the little, <laughs> here's the devil in the details that a lot of the people that use those terms don't like to admit. As soon as they say that, you know what they're admitting to? A binary. They're actually admitting that there are masculine traits and that there are feminine traits. And that when we look at things like aggression or competitiveness or a capacity for violence, these traits are morally neutral until they're actually put into action. So, so the man that uses that uh, aggression or that competitiveness or that capacity of violence to, to take a, a woman's purse and run down the street, that is a, that is a negative manifestation of a masculine trait. But then when the other man steps in and stops him and returns it, those are positive manifestations of those masculine traits. So this is not a question of whether or not the traits will exist. It's a question of whether or not they will receive positive manifestations and positive outworkings or negative ones. Carly Jean Los Angeles is ethically sourced classic clothes, capsule clothing for the every woman. You're going to love the styles and the fact that when you buy a few pieces from CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com and you wake up in the morning, you have multiple different outfits that you can mix and match. So go to CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com today. They are also a pro-life company. They're a company that supports local pregnancy resource centers. So they are supporting the pro-life movement when you buy from CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com. And they've got some great November specials. So CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com. Use the code Lila30 for 30% off your order. Check them out. You're going to love them. That's CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com. Here, here's yeah. the question about that, because I think so many men have been effectively emasculated. I mean, between pornography, between you mentioned the school system, you know, it's not good for young boys typically like sitting in a classroom for eight hours a day. I know there's recess, but like just kind of the structure of it for young boys, especially is not designed for their flourishing, uh, you know, video games, um, you know, just you, you can talk about even like the maybe environmental factors, uh, birth control pills in our water that is literally mm. depleting testosterone. I mean, all of this stuff or, you know, the additional estrogen there. I mean, do you think that we the problem is that men aren't wild enough? I mean, to, the, the raw material of what men are it has not only been disrespected um, and it's not properly channeled, but it's also just it's been broken at large because of these societal factors. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I mean, culture, culture will eventually produce the sort of men it's asking for. And, and right now it's asking for weak, emasculated men. And it turns out nobody likes the results. I mean, I, 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 I pointed this out and some people got mad with me. I said, you know, isn't it fascinating that as soon as the T-80s rolled over the Ukrainian border, nobody was asking for the gender studies majors to show up and, and teach the Russians about tolerance and equity. They just wanted a dude that could shoot a Russian. Right. They just wanted somebody that could actually protect, protect their country. And the, this idea that we have in the West where we've lived under so much security, so much prosperity, so much relative freedom from either want or danger that it, it rises. It, 
it elevates this notion that those skills or those attributes are no longer required, that they're archaic and that they're, they're more, they're more dangerous than what they're worth. Okay. In, until you realize that, that emasculated men don't make for a safe society for women, some of the worst abusers that you will ever see, some of the most depraved serial killers you ever see were emasculated men and they took it out on women. And so at, at, at no point, at no point do I want a society of, of, of weak, complacent, docile women, but this idea that you're, you're going to get a better, safer society with, with emasculated men is just absurd, and it's been demonstrated throughout history. And, and so again, how do we the, turn the, that back? I mean, what do we do with all these all the men who are, you know, there's this, that statistic earlier, 63% of men mm-hmm. versus only a third of women are single today. You know, they're, they're not, because of any number of reasons, they're not interested or they're not able to be in a relationship. And I'm not saying everyone is bound for sort of a marriage or a relationship, but I would say the yeah. large majority of people are biologically. It's the way we're wired. I think it's how we're designed. So some people aren't called to that, but many people, more people are. So what about, you know, what are the, <laughs> with all this generation of men, you know, we, you're talking about wanting them to direct their wildness towards greatness and, and the morality mm-hmm. needed for that, which is so key. But what about just recreating or sparking the wildness to begin with, you know, in a good Man, way? Well, so I, I think it's a couple of things. Like um, I think John Lovell does a great job of this in his book. He, uh, he does, yeah. He's awesome. Um, he, he does a great job on this. Matt Boudreaux. Um, there, there's other guys in this sphere, and and, and I, I think what you're starting to see is something of a. Um, I don't know if competition is the is the right place, but basically different paths where where young men are going to go to get advice, and some of it is what they you know uh, refer to as kind of this secular manosphere, where again it's it's the workout, be professional, do all these other things, uh, be intellectual, have good you know you know be um, intellectually formidable, but then with respect to its concept of relationships, it's it's broken, and then it's it's usually rooted in in something of a hedonistic philosophy that that doesn't ultimately make sense. Then, then you've also got, uh, this view where it's kind of the scholarly approach where it's telling young men that there's, there's things that they have to prioritize and they have to be good and they have to be noble. But what, what men really, I think what young men really need to see is they, they need to see men that, that do a good job of combining the warrior and the scholar or the warrior and the poet as, as John Lovell would, would describe it. Um, they don't want to be, they don't want to just be lectured to. Um, if, if you're going to, if you're going to offer an alternative, then they want to see somebody that they believe is is formidable along those masculine lines, and so I, I think the, me where I'm I'm approaching this from the Christian perspective, it, it's about reopening this whole idea of what is it what does it mean to be a strong Christian man? Well, a strong Christian man isn't weak. A strong Christian man um, is intellectually formidable, professionally formidable, physically formidable, um, and they're emotionally formidable as well. Like I, I always say that there's there's a my wife worded it best. I was I was trying to capture this where I was saying like men don't we don't like to be vulnerable, we don't like to be weak, and she goes, yeah, but babe, you, you got to be able to show us tenderness. Like there, there's a, there's a tenderness that you display and, and, and she described it for me and it helped me understand it and articulate it better. She goes, babe, there, there's a tenderness that you display toward me. There's a tenderness that you display toward our daughters that the rest of the world doesn't get, but every once in a while they get to see a glimpse of it. She goes, that's really important. That's really important. And, and I, and I do think that's critical. The, the other side of it and, and a lot of, a lot of young men, um, We'll share this story when they when they ask you about something that was formative in, in their young lives. So uh, again, I, I didn't I didn't get to grow up with my father as much as I would have liked to, but I, I got to spend the summers with him. And my dad was a uh, a homicide detective, 
And one day he uh, he said, "You want to go into work?" Like, yeah, I want, I want to go into work. That's kind of that's cool, right? And um, we're sitting there, and there was this situation where there was this guy, you know, cuffed up, sitting down, and um, he just he he looked at me wrong, <laughs> at least in my dad's view. And my dad just immediately like shot him this glare and, and said, "You know, get your head down." And the guy went back down, and and I saw this I saw this glimpse of um, the man that dangerous people saw in my father. Yeah. Right? It was never directed toward me. So that, he never raised get... his voice with you. No, no, no. Or... He did. He did. Okay. He would raise... <laughs> See that this is the part that's so. This is the part that is so critical, and I think people <laughs> don't properly understand. No, he he is my dad. My dad had the capacity to scare the crap out of me. Right, <laughs> like he. Um, no, he would raise his voice at me and, and he would use, he would use a very stern look and the whole deal and, and whatnot. It's not like he was just super gentle and kid gloves with me. Not at all. Um, he wasn't abusive though. So I saw his anger, but I never perceived a, a threat, right? I, I saw in that moment and, it, and I can't, I can't illustrate this enough. It wasn't anger. He was demonstrating toward that person. It was, it was actually calculated. It was calculated to display to him that he was a threat because he had something to protect. Man. And man, that stuck with me. That that split second of seeing the look on his face, the tone, his gesture, and how another dangerous man responded to it. Right? That that stuck with me. That there there the threats in the world need to see that in me whenever they're threatening the things that I love. They they need to know that I am dangerous for them. But my wife and my children, they, they never see that. They may see dad angry. They may see dad frustrated, but they never, they never perceive me as a threat to them. Maybe. But the same token, they do know I'm a threat on their behalf. And young men are looking for, I think the young men are looking for that to be demonstrated in a, in a positive way, because when they see it, it makes sense to, and instantly makes sense to them that, yes, this is, this is what I'm supposed to do. And this is the job that, that men are supposed to do. And I want to be that sort of man. And what's so powerful about that, as you, as you said earlier, is it's, it's ordered to something. There's a purpose. You use the word mission to all of it. Like what's the mission of your ability to be strong and threatening it's not to dominate your family, right? It's to protect and provide for your family. And so when you have your mission in order, your purpose in order, as a man or a woman, everything can get aligned around that. And it, and there's such freedom in that. And that's, I think, where the the joy comes in and the, the peace can come in, the happiness. People actually experience that real happiness because they're living their mission and it's a mission of service and ultimately of other people. No, I, I think that's that's absolutely correct. It, people people flourish. Uh, I, I would say this: children, marriages, they they flourish when there's an element of um, love, respect, and security. And the man is supposed to provide the security. And and it's amazing because they've been told, "Well, no, you don't do that. It's it's equal. It's whatever." I, I, I was talking to, um, I, I always make it a point whenever I'm talking to someone that, you know, lets me know, oh, I just got engaged or whatnot. I always, I always take that as an opportunity to say, look, marriage is great. Um, I don't care what, you know, pop culture tells you about marriage or what Hollywood tells you about marriage. Marriage is wonderful. I absolutely love my wife. I, I mean, it's just, it's, it's an adventure. It's an adventure. Your life doesn't end when you get married. It begins. Cause I just want to encourage people. And, and this, um, this one young woman where I was up in uh, DC for something with some, some friends. And I think there was a conference going on in town or whatnot. 
And so she told me that. I said, oh, being married is great. She said, oh, how long have you been married? And at that point, I think I've been married like 15 years or something. And, and we're, we're talking. And I, I'm talking about what I love about being a husband and what I love about being a father. And as I'm describing this, she looks at me and she goes, oh, we don't subscribe to those traditional gender roles. Susan. And I said, oh, okay. I said, well, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, Let, let's say you and your fiance are in, here in DC and you're walking out. You've just had a lovely dinner together. And as you're walking back to the car, uh, a guy jumps out of an alleyway with a knife. Now, in one of these scenarios, your fiance jumps in between you and your attacker. And in the other scenario, he jumps behind you. In which scenario are you more attracted to your fiance? And she goes, well, that, that's, that's not fair. I said, no, it is fair. <laughs> will, will it ever happen? Probably not. Odds are it won't. Well, although it's DC, who knows? Um, odds are it isn't. But in your mind, you want to know where he would jump. You want to know what he would do and you want to be confident uh, on his level to, to protect you because it makes you feel good, not only because he loves you, but because he's capable. And it, you can sit here and pretend all day long that doesn't matter. But whenever you're asked the question, it does. Not because of the high degree of probability, but because what it says about him, what it says about you, and what it says about the nature of your relationship. So why don't can we just stop pretending and just embrace the things that are different about men and women and embrace that when when a man and woman come together in marriage, that the various strengths that they bring to the table benefits not only them individually, but benefits each other. And, and completes one another in a way that wouldn't be possible in isolation. Can, can we not, can we just do that? Because it turns out when we do, when we do embrace those things, people are happy. And, and when we fight against them, and, and, and it is, it's a form of rebellion against reality, not just, re- and a rebellion, I would argue, against God. Right. When we fight against it, nobody's happy. Right. So wh- to, to your question, how do we okay. teach young men to do it? Well, the first step is do it in your own life. We can sit here and talk about it all day long, but the, the, the best argument for what you believe is how you live your life. And when you live it that way and other people see it and they see the chaos that's taking place from the alternative, you know, that's, <laughs> you, you can point out the lie all day long, but people will hold on to a convenient lie all day long if they, if they don't actually have a truth that they can then rally behind. Everylife.com is America's pro-life baby products company. Isn't that great that we have a company finally that creates great quality products that are perfect for your little one, diapers and wipes. You're going to love everylife.com. They have a great subscription service. If you're done supporting diaper companies that are hostile to your values or don't support your values, everylife.com is the solution. Go to everylife.com today. You can order your diapers and your wipes for that little one in your life that you love. And everylife.com, you can use the code LILA at checkout for 10% off your order. So for men, you know, I think you shared a lot and I think you're spot on about you know, the natural role a man has and, you know, what men need today. And you mentioned the importance of mentors, which I totally agree with. I think in many ways, the crisis of masculinity and femininity is a crisis of mentorship. Like we need role models that can help us and accompany us. And that's why I love the work you're doing, because you're basically providing an, an important element of that through the work that you're doing online and, you know, sharing all of these messages. But, you know, gender roles like there's the role of the man and then there is a role for women and so how do you see you have daughters you 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 share some funny advice online sometimes about like advice for raising girls what are the role what is the role of a woman and what do you think modern women don't get today well i think a lot of modern women have just been lied to um Mm -hmm. 
and 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 again, part of it goes back to this whole idea that 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 the way to be a powerful woman is to be a a crappy man. <laughs> um, so true. Uh, but here, here's what be, I would say: be a, I, be, I, a, be a you know be in the boardroom, don't have kids, be you know sleep around and don't have regrets. Like, yeah, be the be the worst man out there. I mean, that was yeah. the sexual revolution project. Like, change turn women into the worst version of the playboy man. Yeah. And you know what? What is what has been the result of that? A lot of suffering for a lot of people. Yeah, not the least of which is women. Um, mm-hmm. So here's what I would say, and I, and I, I try to be careful about this because obviously, um, you know, I don't I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know what the experience is like to be a woman. I, okay. I can tell you, I can tell you what I appreciate about my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife is in, incredibly nurturing. Uh, she also has incredible discernment. The, the world talks about women's intuition. I think in Christianity, we talk more about discernment, but it, it, this, this idea that one of the things I learned very early on about my wife was that she picked up on things that I was oblivious to. Right. And, and I remember initially, uh, being kind of, you know, young and, yeah. and inexperienced and arrogant, she would say, I, I, you know, I don't have a good feeling about this, or I don't know about this person or whatever it is. I'd be like, well, why explain it? Mm-hmm. What, what's your reasoning? And some of it, she'd be like, Nick, I just have a bad idea. And I'm like, well, you know, you're, you're being too hard on him or you're being, you know, you know, you're being, you know, what emotional or whatever. No, she wasn't. She was picking up on things. I wasn't. Um, and, and some people offer a, a biological reasons or evolutionary reasons for that, whatever it is. Um, she has incredible discernment and I've really grown to trust it. Um, especially when it comes to relationships or partnerships that you might, you know, you know, business partnerships or whatever it is. Like she has incredible, um, discernment. She, like I said, very nurturing, um, and, and that's nurturing toward the children, but that's also nurturing toward me. One, one of the things that, um, you know, obviously I, I was, I was in the military. I was a combat veteran. Mm-hmm. The reason why I have the great relationship I have with my children is because of a lot of the work my, my wife put into that. I was gone a lot. The first 10 years of mm-hmm. our marriage, I was gone for half of it between training, between combat deployments, between training deployments, whatever it is, I, I was gone a lot. And, um, I, I saw as some women in that situation, uh, dealt with the absence through infidelity or dealt with the absence through bitterness or would display their frustration in front of their kids about where their, um, their husband was, their father was not my wife, man. Every time I came home, my, my kids were happy to see me because, um, when they couldn't be around me, she kept them, she kept the memory of me, uh, alive with them the entire mm-hmm. time in a way that only she could do. Beautiful. Um, yeah, it really, really is really is. Um, I also appreciate my wife's intelligence and her, um, perspective on things. And this goes in in part with the discernment. Um, I, I like to joke around with people that like, you think I'm a firebrand until you meet Tina and then you realize that, you know, man, mama bear is there. Um, she also, uh, she embraces her femininity, which is to say that, Mm. um, my, my wife is, is my wife's a very beautiful woman and she likes to be, she likes to be beautiful for me. And, and I, and I can't, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Um, and, and some people look at that as superficial and I, I don't, I, I don't know how to explain that, that men are, we are, there is something about the beauty of a woman that just inspires us in, in ways that we, we can't explain. And, and that beauty is not only found in the physical, it's also found in the character I remember early on, one of the things that attracted me to my wife is her, her sense of right and wrong and, and justice mm-hmm. was, um, 
you know, when, when the popular kids would be picking on someone or whatnot, you know, Tina would be the one to stand up and just read them the riot act. Like, how dare you? Um, and, and it wasn't just her physical beauty. It was the integrity, uh, that she displayed. Um, so I, I think there's, there's so many feminine traits along, uh, gentleness and nurturing and discernment, which also have positive and, and negative manifestations. Like nurturing can have a negative manifestation if it becomes, you know, uh, babying or, or codependency. Uh, discernment can have a negative manifestation if it, if it manifests itself in manipulation. Me. Um, but she's always used these things in such a way as to help us and our marriage and to help our children and to help them avoid danger and to give them good advice and to bring them up to know that they are, are secure and that they are loved and they're protected. So all of those attributes are things that when I, I look at my wife, who has been very dynamic um, at home and within our marriage and with our kids, uh, homeschooling our kids, managing the home. My, my wife is the sort of woman, when you look at Proverbs 31, my wife is the <laughs> sort of woman that if there is a YouTube video, she knows how to do it. We, we spent a lot of our, I mean, the first Impre- four years That's of our, impressive. There's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot um, of YouTube videos for how to do the home and homesteading. Cause I know that's what you yeah, guys are into now. So yeah, I know I'm, I'm rambling on, but whenever you ask needs, me what I love I, about no, my wife, I love it. No, this is a great, this is a, <laughs> this is a great, uh, we need to, we need more of this because what I love about what you're saying too, Nick, is that you're not, you're sharing specifics, obviously, but you know, there's sort of principles that are underlying because, you know, people will, the, the pushback against this, right? Coming from maybe the modern woman or even man, it's like, well, every personality is different. You know, some, some women seem more masculine in some parts of their personality. Some men are more sort of naturally empathetic, whatever. But you're speaking to sort of principles that can be applied across personalities that really make, I think, the feminine come alive for any woman. And it's just beautiful that you have this in your wife and that you celebrate it publicly in your wife, mm-hmm. because that in and of itself, too, I think is is missing like more celebration of husbands of their wives wives of their husbands publicly i don't know i think it's a it's a great example to people listening and and to me well i think it's and i think it's necessary again when you when you ask the question how do we convince young men how do we convince young women of of a different way of thinking about these things uh well again you know the argumentation is a a component of it like you you are an incredibly effective advocate Mm -hmm. um and and you're also willing to go into places where you're going to be the only one with your opinion and and you've done an excellent job being able to articulate the the sort of worldview that we're discussing, the sort of of you know the the beauty of life, the beauty of a certain way of of living and thinking about the world, um, and and that's incredibly inspirational to people, and it, and it and it should be able to provide an example of again a strong manifestation of femininity, one that is that is intellectually rigorous. But I'll say since becoming married, we you know we're five years in only, so we've you know we're behind you guys, but. I will say that the the rootedness of becoming married, of belonging to my husband and he belongs to me and what he's taught me just by the gift of his presence, like being that um, provider protector for me, it has given me more strength and courage and really even the power to to even care more about the work that I'm doing because I have this unconditional love and foundation from my husband. Now, of course, I had that from God before, but I get to have this living manifestation of it in my life. So yeah. I, I just think that's the power of a husband's love and it's the power of, you know, the wife, obviously, I hope my love can give him, you know, the, that rootedness too in my own way. Um, but, you know, our our ability to go out and change the world is, you know, if we're called to marriage, it just, I think it's maximized by by the family project, you know, by the by oh, the love of a marriage. A, a, absolutely. A, absolutely. Um, 
Yeah. It, it, to, and to, to your point on the, on the other side of that. Yeah. The, the fact that I know that my wife has my back, no matter what, mm. um, it, it actually allows you to, um, it, it allows you to confront difficulty, challenges, danger, uh, on some level, it allows you to assume risk. Um, because you know that the most important parts of your life, like for me, it's my, it's my, it's my relationship with God and my relationship with my wife. When, when those things are, are certain, just the, the world's not just not as scary. <laughs> like I, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. The world's just not as scary a place. Right. Um, and it, and it, and it, again, I think it inspires men to courage and, okay. um, and it also, I think it it's inspires women to courage as well when, when they know that they're secure in that relationship. Um, cause my, my wife is a formidable woman. <laughs> she, um, um, yeah, I, I did anybody that has an image of, of my wife is just being kind of, you know, docile and like, Oh, okay, honey. Like, no, my, my wife is also the one that I bounce ideas off with and can, and, and contend with in a positive way where we're making each other better through the process. Because ultimately, and this is something Jordan Peterson talks about where he says, you know, be careful who you share good news with and, and be careful who you take criticism from. Right. It's perfectly healthy to take constructive criticism. It's in, it's it is a an incredible thing to be able to take um, criticism from someone who you know absolutely loves you and just just wants you to be everything that they know you can be. Um, because sometimes criticism is necessary, and I and I mean this in the most positive and constructive way. I'm not talking about biting. I'm not talking about nagging. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about someone that's willing to sit down and be like, babe. I'm telling you, you need to, you need to be thinking about this. You need to be praying about this. How can I pray for you? Um, there, there's a certain degree of accountability that has to exist with, within a marriage that your wife, uh, or your husband is uniquely suited to be able to provide, provided that you know it's, it's purely because they love you and they, and they want you to be the absolute best version that God has for you. It's beautiful. Okay. So for people listening who maybe they're not married yet or they are married and they're going through a hard time or, you know, they might go through a hard time in the future. I do want to get some of your thoughts on this before we wrap up here, because, you know, we've talked about gender roles, talked about uh, the value of marriage and the roles even within a marriage to some degree. But what do you do practically when you hit hard times? And maybe let's just start with a woman like you're a woman and you're you're wrestling with a situation where you don't feel like that man, your husband, is being the leader you want him to be. Um, I was reading this, I think it was a Reddit post. You know, Reddit is full of these really sad stories a lot of the yeah. time. Uh, but I think she was describing how, or what, maybe it was a forum on something on marriage, but it was one of these online forums, right? And she's sharing about how her husband is basically addicted to these games, like video games, and he or some sort of phone game. And anyways, he's he's a good man. He goes, to, he works, he tries to be, you know, present to the kids when he is there, right? But he's spending exorbitant amounts of time and money just kind of whittling his life away as she sees it. And she feels like it's not fair to her. It's not fair to the kids. It's it's damaging. You know, what what is the what is the response? What would you tell or what would you encourage a woman to do in trying to kind of bring out that leader in the man that she's with? I, I think there's, I think there's a couple of things and I, and I'm not going to pretend this is easy. Um, cause it's not easy in either direction. Um, when you, the, the first thing, which is kind of the most obvious is you, you tend to get more of what you reward, um, in, in any sort of relationship. So when you are, when you are showing appreciation for various things, um, you, you tend to get more of it by the same token, there, there will be things that, um, 
you know, our, our potentially negative attributes, which then develop into to habits and then hopefully not addictions. And I, I think when you're approaching something from a biblical worldview, one, one of the things that I always tell people that is so wonderful about a biblical worldview is that when I say I'm the head of the household, it doesn't mean I'm the head under my own authority. Um, which means that there's an objective standard to which my wife can pull out scripture no. or she can look at something I'm doing and she can go like, babe, this isn't right. And, and I'm, and, and if she's right and I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. And, and then the question is, okay, what do we, what do we do about this? How, how do we, um, you know, how do we overcome this particular challenge? What, what sort of, uh, mechanisms do we put in place to both, um, disincentivize bad habits and incentivize good ones? Mm-hmm. I think one of the toughest things is when you tell people, I don't like this, stop doing it. Look, if, if we take something out of our life that is not productive, we better replace it with something that is. And so th- that's part of the question is, is how do you either set up appropriate boundaries and then how do you actually replace something that is becoming destructive? How do you replace it with something that is productive? And then, and then how do you encourage the sort of behavior that you want to see more of? And then for, for men, a, a lot of things is look, we, we want to, we definitely want to feel like we're being there for you and we're being there for our children. We, it, it's, it's tough when we feel guilty. And sometimes the initial response you might get from, from a man is, you know, I do this and I do this and I do that. And I, I think one of the most important things is to acknowledge that, like, it, it, again, if he's a good husband and he really does try and he is working, he's provided, it's like, you're a wonderful protector. You're a wonderful provider. You make us feel safe. You take care of our needs. The reason why we want more from you is because of all of those things. And, and right now we, we feel like we're having to, we're share, we're having to share you too much with this other thing. And, and we want, we want more because we love you and because we respect you and because we need, we need more from you. And, and, and it's not out of any lack of appreciation for what you're already doing. Um, can we do more of this, right? Like, is there more things that we can do that gets us out of the house and away from the console or away from, is there more things that we can do that would allow us to have that, that time with you so that the kids get the benefit of everything that you have to teach them so that I get the benefit, you know, is the other thing too, is I, look, <laughs> men like intimacy, <laughs> um, you know, and so there, all of those things are, I think are ways that, that a, a wife can positively inter- interact with the husband and, and look, be prepared for some sense of rejection. And, and to some degree, like I have had to do that where Tina's brought things to my attention before where I, I did, I felt a sense of rejection. I felt defensive and, um, and maybe my initial reaction wasn't great, but, but I came around, right? I was like, babe, I'm sorry. You're, you're right. And I am wrong. And I should have not have, I should not have responded that way. I should not have reacted that way. Um, but yeah, what, how do we, how do we do this? How can I do this in such a way that will address this issue and, and being open to to talking about that. And so that's, that can be difficult. I will say that if a man feels secure in your love and he feels appreciated for the things that he is doing, it's a little bit easier to address some of the other things and, and to improve. Um, if we just feel like, you know, you never spend any time with us or you never do this, or, you know, when it's like, look at the guys working 50, 60 hours a week and, and the, the game is something that he uses to kind of disconnect because he, he just can't shut down his mind. And, and, and all he's hearing now is you never like, Oh, the moment you hear that, like, what do you mean? I never, uh, on the other hand, when it's, you are a great protector, you are a great provider. I appreciate so much of you. This is consuming a lot of your time. Is there something else that can, can we do something else that allows you to be more engaged with, with us? Not because, not because we don't recognize 
how stressed out on all the work that you do, but because we love you and because we want more time with you, it's valuable to us and we want more time with you. I think that's a better approach. I'm not saying a guy's always going to give a, a good initial reaction, but ultimately he's going to recognize that, you know what, my wife and my kids, they need me. They want more time with me. How lucky am, am I that they want that? Um, so I, I think that's valuable. Um, um, can I say another thing from the, the, yeah, the guy's perspective? Yeah. Men are, um, well, I, I will say this men who have been trained to be good men and to be sacrificial in our love and our leadership, because biblical leadership for a man and their family is supposed to be servant leadership. Uh, we are supposed to love our wives the way Christ loved the church and gave his life up for it. One of the things I always explain to, to men and to women when I'm explaining the biblical view, worldview of marriage is like, yes, I am the leader of my household. I make no apologies for that. But that comes with a tremendous amount of responsibility and up to and including my life for my wife's. And, and people say, oh, you've got to sacrifice everything for your wife. No, no, no. What it means is I am willing to sacrifice myself for my wife because I love her. And that's part of that noble mission. I'm willing to sacrifice myself for my kids if it's necessary. Um, what that also means is that sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it is difficult for us to articulate things to our wives that we would like to see changed in her behavior. Um, because we don't want to, we don't want to offend. We don't, we never want to make our wives feel like they're anything less than what we want. Or, you know, we, we want them to know that they're this, they're the woman of our dreams. Um, but if there's things where it's like, you know, sweetheart, can we change this or can we do this or what about this? And, and Tina and I had this conversation once I said, well, uh, sweetheart, are you allowed to tell me things that could potentially offend me, but I'm not allowed to tell you things that could potentially offend you. Is that how this That's is going to work? Yeah, it's a fair question. <laughs> and and she said, and and again, my wife. Again, another thing I love about my wife is she said, "That's fair. That's fair. You have to be able to. You have to be able to say things to me." And and her one rule for me has always been, just always talk to me like I'm the woman that you love. And even if I get frustrated with what you say, uh, I'll 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 remember that we had this conversation. And to her credit, she always has. She always has. Um. And the, the wonderful thing I love about that is that obviously when we talk about um, logic versus emotion, I, I always, I always try to stress this to men having a, a visceral emotional reaction to something is, is not a weakness unless you are dominated by it. No. That emotion that you have at a particular thing is an invitation to thought. It's an invitation to reason and to logic and to understanding when, when your wife is more emotionally sensitive to something, it's in part because biologically and everything else, she has to be more in tuned to the emotions and the way things are affecting people within the environment that she controls. She has to be in tune to the way that her children see things. And so when she, when she has an emotional reaction to something, that's not a weakness unless it dominates her entire reasoning. If anything, it provides, it provides insight into where a discussion needs to go or where a logical thought process needs to begin because that emotional component of that discussion and that relationship is so critical. So don't, don't throw it against, don't throw it in her face when she has an emotional reaction to something. Um, it, it, it should indicate to you that there's something that needs to be discussed. And then both of you sit down with an understanding of both the emotional and the logical component and you figure out why does this exist? And so again, another thing I give my wife an incredible credit for is that we have this in agreement. The truth is truth. And, and if there is an emotional reaction to something, whether it's offense or whether it's hurt or whether it's something else, 
we go beyond the asking, okay, why is that? Okay. Can I say something better? Um, am I just wrong in the way that I'm analyzing something? But if we're not willing to have those conversations, then you're going to have things that you're going to have things that at first just kind of annoy you that then become sources of bitterness and resentment. Mm. And so there, there has to be a, a safety and security that once again, sweetheart, you and I against the world, you and I against the world. It is always us. There, there is no, there is no just me or just you. There, it's always us. Um, but both of us have to be able to come to the other one and be honest when I think this is a problem and I, I we need to address it. Um, so I, I would say to, to women, sometimes men have a hard time articulating the way we feel about something, but if you want us to be more emotionally secure in the way that we discuss either vulnerabilities with you or the way that we discuss things that are, are bothering us, sometimes it, 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 sometimes you might have to, to take that little bit of offense or hurt yeah. to be able to get beyond it. Um, now again, it's still it's still on men to we we need to do a better job of articulating what it is that we're we're experiencing. Um, but ultimately, I want to be I want to be the best version for my wife possible. I want to be the best version. I want to be the man of her dreams, right? And and she wants to be the woman of my dreams. And and there's marriages and life go through different stages. That doesn't mean you stop wanting to be that for each other. And so being willing to sit down and talk with it, but, but always having the, the commitment that it's, it's you and I against the world, right? If necessary, uh, we love and respect one another. And now we're going to get to the bottom of, of what this problem is. And we're going to figure out together what's the best way to address it. And, and sometimes it does include one party or the other saying, not only I'm sorry, but I was wrong and, and I'm going to do it differently. Um, and I've had those moments where my wife has looked at me and said, I was wrong. You were right. I shouldn't have done it that way. I shouldn't have reacted that way. And it is just this tremendous relief that comes over me that she still loves me and she, she hears what I say. And because she wants to be better for me, she's willing to hear it. And I do the same thing for her. Honey, you were right. I was wrong. I should not have done that. It was not respectful. It was not honoring to you. Um, and it won't happen again or, or I'll do this. And the security that comes from that is, is just incredible. And that's, yeah. that's what it allows you to get as close to perfection in your marriage as possible. This powerful stuff, the power of I'm sorry. And then also, I love you and thank you. You know, it kind of having that foundation of appreciation. Yeah. Because if you don't have already like that back and forth of appreciation and that taking the time to really value and enjoy each other when tough conflicts come or, you know, tough times come or misunderstandings inevitably come, you're you're already kind of operating from that rocky place. Yeah. And it sounds like that's something that you guys have prioritized from the beginning is like really having that appreciation piece there. And that I think makes such a huge difference. And, and if there's one other thing I just add as a final caveat to that, um, when you have issues with your spouse, they're with your spouse. Um, that is not something that you like, I, I don't go to my, I don't go to my buddies and talk smack about my wife. I don't go to my buddies and talk about the things I wish, you know, she would do differently. Uh, and she doesn't do that with her friends about me. If, if we have issues with us, we have issues with us. Now that doesn't mean that we don't have close friends that, um, you know, uh, um, like we're, we're dedicated to their marriage being successful. They're dedicated to our, and we pray for each other and, and we have that. 
But when there's issues, there are issues. They're nobody else's issues. Nobody else gets them. That's, that's one of the things I like to, I like to say is like, no, no, no. My issue with my wife on this particular thing is something that we're going to work together. And the moment anyone else tries to butt themselves into that conversation, get the hell out. You don't belong there. That's for us. Like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm almost, um, what's the word? I'm protective. Territorial. Of, I'm territorial. <laughs> About, our, about, about any issues that so we have don't on go to Reddit is what you're saying. No, don't go <laughs> yeah, to Reddit. Don't go to Reddit. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. you, but, but maybe go to the wise, you know, couple or the wise counselor, uh, you know, but the point is like, don't blow off steam with your friends, like about no. your, your most cherished other half, you know, the one that you're one flesh with. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit, I think, it, I think it's a betrayal of yourself actually, as much as it is the betrayal of your spouse um, to kind of to gossip about one spouse or to complain about one spouse. Um, So yeah, no power, powerful words. All right, Nick, this has been so awesome. Where can people find you're, you're giving, you know, truth bombs or, you know, great advice to men (laughs) and to women. And then you have the parenting advice. So there's a lot more to your work, obviously. And then obviously you're representing the great state of Virginia. God help them (laughs) Um, as, as God help California, but where can people find your work? Uh, so we, we have a podcast called Making the Argument. We also have another program we do called The Why Minutes. And then uh, all you have to do is Google Nick J. Freitas. And, uh, you know, we have a, a pretty good presence on, on Instagram. We try to get content out there pretty frequently on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, X, um, and everything else. But, yeah, that, those are the places uh, to find me. And, and, if I, and if I could just say, too, um, you know, again, as, as a tribute to, uh, to you, your husband, your marriage, uh, the work that um, Live Action does um, – it's something, this is an issue that my wife and I is very near and dear to my, um, my wife and I, and we've always been incredibly grateful for not only the work that you do, but the way that you articulate it within the cultural space and, and how important that is. Because ultimately, if we do want, um, not, not just on the issue of abortion, if we want a society that truly values innocent human life and wants to protect it and wants it to flourish, uh, then it begins at its most vulnerable stage. And that, and as much as that is a legislative battle, it will always first and foremost be a, a cultural battle and humanitarian one. And, um, and you do it very well. And so thank you for that. Thank you, Nick. Well, thanks for lending your important voice to it, which you do frequently. So it's needed. We need strong men out there fighting for marriage and family. So thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Lila Rose podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening on podcast app or if you're on the YouTube channel, don't forget to click that subscribe button. And if you're listening on podcast app, don't forget to leave us five stars and a review. This will help the podcast reach more people. Thanks so much. And we'll see you guys next time.